Today's reading is taken from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 9, and it can be found on page 1092 of the Church Bibles. So that's Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 9, and page 1092 of the Church Bibles. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. reading that for us, David. Uh, Please keep the passage open in front of you, page 1092, and we're going to be looking at that passage together. Let me lead us in prayer there. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you that you have given us your word. Father, thank you that every part of the scriptures, every part of the Bible is God-breathed, that it is from you. And therefore, help us to listen to you, to be ready to hear what you say to us as we read your word. Help us to apply it to our hearts and to our lives and send us from here transformed, changed, because we have read your word. Amen. Well, this morning, we're going to ask the question, what happened next? Uh, Before we get into that, I just thought it would be helpful for you to know where we're heading over the next few weeks in terms of sermon series, because we finished the book of Exodus before Easter. I found it a great encouragement, a great help to look through the book of Exodus. You're really confronted by the majesty of God, his greatness as he rescued his people, uh, rescued them from slavery and rescued them for worship of him. So we finished that uh, before Easter, then we had the Easter passages, of course, that we looked at, celebrating Jesus' resurrection. So where are we heading? 
Well, next week we've got our forward focus, so we're going to be looking at our verse for the year. We said we would look at that verse, those verses, uh, three times at least in the year. So we did at the beginning of the year. We're going to look at it next week as well. Uh, It's not exactly the same sermon, um, but it will be different. It will be a a follow-on from that. So we look at those verses uh, uh, next Sunday. Uh, and then after that, we're going to have a, a, a short sermon series on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. I'm looking forward to us getting into that together. We're going to look at various passages uh, about the person and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's going to lead up to Pentecost Sunday. And then after that, we're going to uh, look at the book of James together. So I'm looking forward to those sermon series that we're going to be having. But that then means this week, um, what are we doing this week? Well, this week is sort of after Easter Sunday and before our forward focus. And I thought this week we would therefore look at what happened next. What happened next after the resurrection? What happened next used to be my favourite round in the TV programme Question of Sport. Those who knew that programme. Actually, I don't, does it still run? Question of sports, is it still happening? Yeah, okay, good. I don't think they do this round anymore, though. It used to be my favourite round. They would show a clip from a sporting event and they would pause it and ask the teams what happened next and it would normally be something, something silly that would happen next. Well, this isn't something silly that happens next, but this is asking the question, what happens next after the resurrection of Jesus? After all, he rose from the dead and then 40 days later ascended into heaven. But 40 days, that's quite a long period of time. What was Jesus doing then? What happened next? Was he just hanging around? Was it like waiting for a taxi for 40 days? Was he just sort of, you know, was it sort of awkward with the the disciples, with the apostles going, you know, so we're waiting. What are we waiting for? Well, I'm going to go. It's going to be 40 days. Okay, 40 days. Yeah, counting down the days. Is that how it went? Well, no, there was much more purpose to it than that. We find out in Acts chapter 1 what happened next. We're told in verse 3, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. He met with them. Now, who is the them that is talked about? That's what it says, he met with them. Well, you need to look back to the previous verses to see who the them is. And it says in verse 2, until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Who was it that Jesus met with? Well, it was the apostles. That is the 11. Uh, It was 12, of course, but Judas betrayed Jesus. He is now no longer with them. So you've got the 11. Interesting, isn't it? That that is who Jesus chose to be with. For 40 days, he said he was going to meet with them. You and I might think, well, after he's risen from the dead, surely Jesus, what you should do is travel around the world and show people that you're alive. Maybe do a stadium tour, do that kind of thing. But that's not what he did. He he did meet with big crowds of people. We know that uh, in 1 Corinthians, Paul speaks of him appearing to over 500 people at the same time. So he did appear to more people, but the focus was that he met with the apostles, with the 11, to meet with them. That was his main activity. Because he was going to use them to spread the gospel to the world. His way of uh, getting the gospel to the world 
was not going to be him appearing to mass crowds, but him sending these 11 and then those who heard their message to go out and go out and go out. This was the great tactic. And of course, this tactic is what Jesus, this plan is what Jesus had before. He'd been meeting with primarily the apostles before he was crucified. So he's carrying on doing what he was doing before. And it says in verse 3 that he gave many proofs that he was alive. Interesting, isn't it, that even the apostles needed many proofs. They weren't gullible. They weren't just ready to accept that Jesus had risen from the dead. They needed proofs, and he gave them many proofs. Some of them we've got recorded for us in the Gospels, haven't we? After the resurrection, uh, Jesus appeared in various times and ate with the, uh, the disciples, with the apostles, proving to them that he had risen from the dead. He wasn't a ghost. He was really bodily risen from the dead. They needed these proofs. So that is what he gave them. And he spoke to them, it says. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And again, that's been a theme that has run through his ministry, through Luke's gospel as well, that Jesus taught them about the kingdom of God. And he kept going, teaching them about the kingdom of God. And there were two things in particular that he was preparing them for that we're told in these verses. And we're going to focus on these two things. The first is witnessing, and the second is waiting. So as he met with these apostles, talked to them about the kingdom of God, he was preparing them to witness and to wait. First off, witnessing. They were to witness to Jesus' kingship. That's what he was preparing them for when he met with them. It tells us he talked to them about the kingdom of God. I'm sure they had many other questions as well. Meeting with the risen Jesus, I'm sure they would have had lots of questions about other things, like how did it happen that you rose? When exactly did you rise? I mean, these are questions we would have had. What was it like? What did it feel like to be dead and then to rise to life again? And I'm sure they asked many of these questions, but that wasn't the focus, was it? Jesus would talk to them about the kingdom of God. And so they ask an understandable question, verse 6. They say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? If your theme is the kingdom of God, Jesus, what are you going to do? Are you going to restore Israel? Because Israel is now no longer uh, a great kingdom, as it had been in the Old Testament. It's ruled over by the Romans. So, Jesus, what are you going to do? If the kingdom is the theme, if that is the big thing, are you going to do some great change to the world order? with Israel now back as a kingdom, as a nation. Is that what's going to happen next? And the answer is no. That's not the next step. Jesus tells them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The next step is you, the apostles, going out to be witnesses. To say what you have seen and heard. After all, that is what a witness is, isn't it, in a court of law? The witnesses are called because they've seen what happened. It would be pretty useless if they hadn't seen and heard what had happened. The witnesses are called because they were there. They saw and heard. 
Well, so too with these apostles. They are to witness to what, Jesus, what has happened to Jesus. And I hadn't noticed this before this last week, before I'd read um, a bit of Philip Jensen's new book on the coming of the Holy Spirit, but in the book of Acts, it is the apostles, the 11, who are described as the witnesses, as witnessing. It is a significant role for the 11, that they were to go out, and the 12, once Matthias has joined their group, that is a specific role for them to go out to do. They were witnesses, which is why when they need to replace Judas, uh, they replace Judas with Matthias. When they replace him, they look for specific criteria. The one to replace Judas, verse 21, just have a look. It says, therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So specific criteria for this new apostle to join them, that he had to have been there, to have seen what happened, to have heard Jesus' teaching. He can't just be someone who comes along saying, well, I heard some of it, I'll be a bit of a witness. No, he's got to have been there throughout, to know exactly what happened, to have seen it, so that he can join them in witnessing to what happened to Jesus. So Jesus says, you are to be my witnesses. And as they go, they fulfill this in Acts. And you see that everywhere they go, they speak of Jesus. It's wonderful, isn't it? When they, the giving of the Spirit at Pentecost, what does Peter do? He gets up, he speaks a bit about the Holy Spirit, but then says, let me tell you about Jesus. When there's a healing, miraculous healing... What do they talk about? Do they talk about the healing? Well, a little bit, but really they talk about Jesus. When they're arrested in court, what do the apostles talk about? Jesus. It is always talking about Jesus. They are fulfilling Jesus' command that they are to be witnesses. Witnesses to Jesus and specifically to his kingship. He talked to them about the kingdom in those 40 days so that they could go and talk about Jesus' kingship. And there was often a pattern to what the apostles said. They would speak, first off, of past proofs of Jesus' kingship. Thank you. Past proofs. So on the day of Pentecost... When the Holy Spirit is given after Jesus has ascended, Peter speaks to the crowd, and there is a familiar pattern that you get through the book of Acts, specific, particularly when they're talking to Jews, this pattern of talking about past proofs. That is what Jesus did, the events of Jesus' life. So have a look, uh, would you, if you've got your Bible open, Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Peter, addressing the crowd, says, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. 
There you go, events, don't you? You could almost do a sort of bingo kind of thing of, okay, which are the events in Jesus' life that are, that are mentioned? And you can do it as you go through future speeches in the book of Acts. And here we see Jesus' life, his miracles, and then his death, that they crucified him, and then his resurrection, that God raised him from the dead. Here are past proofs that they keep coming back to. Here is Peter doing exactly what Jesus told him to do. In fact, talking about, I would think, what Jesus talked to them about in those 40 days. He's he's regurgitating. He's he's ready to speak. He knows what to say. Why? Well, because he'd spent time with Jesus. He talks about those past events. Jesus' life, death, resurrection. Oh, and more events. Just turn the page, would you, uh, to verse 32 and 33. Where it says, God has raised this Jesus to life. There's a resurrection again. And we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. So he also speaks of the ascension of Jesus. Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection and ascension. He says, we saw this. We saw Jesus exalted to the right hand of God which is in no way denying Jesus' divinity. This is God the Son at the right hand of God the Father. And so the apostles are emphasising that Jesus therefore rules and reigns now. So they don't just talk about past proofs, they talk about present position. Past proofs, that is, what's happened in the past. But they don't leave those as historical events, do they? They don't just say, oh, well, these events happened and, well, it's lovely to know about. But they talk about the difference that that makes now. Where is Jesus right now? And they make that, that is a big deal for them, to say, where is Jesus now? So verse 33, I've just read it, of chapter 2, exalted to the right hand of God. That's where Jesus is now. And verse 36, just a little further down. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Christ, that is, King. He is King. He rules and he reigns. If you want another example of this, and I'm sure you do, turn the page to Acts chapter 5, page 1097. Acts chapter 5. And verses 31 and 32, Acts 5, 31 and 32, where it says, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So they mention again, again it's saying, look, where is Jesus now? He's exalted to the right hand of God. And therefore he rules and he reigns right now. The apostles emphasise not just those past events but the present position. Jesus is ruling. He's on the throne of heaven. He is the king of God's kingdom. Now we have King Charles' coronation coming up soon. I don't know if you've received your invitation. I haven't received mine yet. Looking forward to getting it. Uh, But you'll be able to watch it on TV if you don't get the invitation. Um, Some will witness it firsthand in Westminster Abbey. 
They'll witness the coronation. We'll witness it on TV. Some here, maybe, remember witnessing the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. Maybe you saw that on TV. Some did, maybe. But before that, of course, it would have only been the witnesses who were there in person who would have seen the coronations of kings and queens. Well, there is a greater exaltation that Peter says he witnessed, far greater than King Charles's coronation. And that was the ascension of Jesus to the throne of heaven. The apostles are saying we are witnesses to a far, far greater exaltation. Jesus as the king, king of all creation, So Jesus had spoken to them for 40 days of the kingdom of God and they are getting ready. What happened next? They're getting ready to speak, to witness to Jesus as king. But they don't just talk about past proofs and present position. They also talk about, sorry, the alliteration just breaks down now. They talk about a call to repent. In the light of who Jesus, of those past proofs, that present position, in the light of that, how should you respond? And the answer is to repent. That is their call as they go out to witness. So uh, Acts 2, verse 38, if you're back there, page 1094, Acts 2, 38, Peter replied, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. To repent is to turn to Jesus and bow before him as king. Here is what Jesus was preparing his disciples to do. And we mustn't be mistaken about what Jesus is claiming or the response it calls for. The Bible is not presenting Jesus merely to us as a life coach, one who tells us how to live as if the apostles were saying, come to Jesus to live your best life. Uh, And we aren't presented with Jesus as merely a wise philosopher, one who can just sort of stimulate your thinking. And we aren't presented with Jesus as a popular celebrity, desperately in need of, of, of popularity and followers. No, the apostles proclaim Jesus as king. And therefore, call for the appropriate response. Of course, Jesus does give fulfillment. He does give us wisdom. He does give us living water and he does give us forgiveness. His his is the best way to live. But he is first and foremost a king and that confronts us, doesn't it? Confronts the world with Jesus' kingship. And therefore the right response is to submit to him, bow before him. I wonder if you've done that. To bow before Jesus as king. It's one of the exciting things about having the baptism service coming up, baptism and affirmation of baptismal vows. Why is that so exciting? Well, it's exciting because we've got people there who are saying, we're going to bow before Jesus. He is our king. We're going to repent and bow before him as our Lord and Saviour. And those who do bow before Jesus are forgiven. Forgiveness of sins is theirs. Have you bowed before him yet? So, they were to be witnesses of Jesus' kingship. And second, they were to wait. Back to the opening verses of the book of Acts. 
where we're told a couple of times uh, that they were to wait verses 4 and 5 on one occasion while they were eating with them he gave them this command do not leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift my father promised which you've heard me speak about for John baptized with water but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit so he prepares them to witness but he says first of all you need to wait don't go yet stay in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit and interestingly he then takes them back to something that was said about Jesus before the start of his earthly ministry so if you keep a hand in Acts chapter 1 could you just turn back to Luke chapter 3 I'll give you the page number when I get there so you're on page 1029 so way back before the start of Jesus's uh, teaching ministry and uh, earthly ministry uh, page 1029 John the Baptist is baptizing people and it's causing a stir lots of people are going to him some are wondering is he the messiah is he the christ is he god's king and he says luke 3 verse 16 john answered them all i baptize you with water but one who is more powerful than i will come the straps of whose sandals i'm not worthy to untie he will baptize you with the holy spirit and fire John's saying, I'm not the Christ, I'm not the King. There is one who's coming who's going to be greater than me, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then you go through the book of Luke, and then you come to the beginning of Acts, as we have done this morning. So turn back to Acts chapter 1, and and then Jesus is talking to them, saying, you are now going to receive the Holy Spirit in just a few days' time. And he says, verse 5, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What John had promised before Jesus' earthly ministry is now about to happen, Jesus is saying. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is given, poured out on God's people. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the promise on the day of Pentecost that Peter gives when he preaches the sermon is that those who then repent, those who bow the knee before Jesus, will also receive the Holy Spirit. So we heard that. You need to turn the page again. I'm getting you turning pages lots. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. So just over the page there. Again, it says, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus had told them in the 40 days, wait, wait in Jerusalem and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. Then you'll go out and be my witnesses. And as they preached, they said, and if you repent, you too will receive the Holy Spirit. And that is the pattern that is the normal pattern and is what we see today. That if you have repented, if you've turned to Jesus as Lord and Saviour, if you've bowed before him as your King, you too have received the Holy Spirit. He is in you. And of course, he doesn't stay in you like an ornament in your house. The Holy Spirit is not like an ornament in your house where you buy it, put it on the shelf, and it stays there collecting dust. The Holy Spirit is not like that. He doesn't move into our house and just stay still, does he? No, he is dynamic. He moves in and he makes changes, sometimes uncomfortable changes. But he keeps changing us and he doesn't stop changing us. Keeps working in our lives. 
right through our lives. Which is why we're having this sermon series coming up on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, We can't cover everything in that sermon series, but we'll look at passages which speak of how the Spirit works in us. And it wasn't just the apostles who were empowered. The thing that we're focusing on here, the particular work of the Spirit, is to empower God's people to go out to witness. And it wasn't just the apostles who were empowered. Turn the page again to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Now, just to give you the context here, uh, Peter and John had been arrested. They'd been put on trial. Uh, They'd come before uh, those who were accusing them, religious leaders, uh, and they were released. They were told, though, not to speak about Jesus. Now, just before we get to the verses in Acts 4, just consider uh, the similarity for us. Okay, maybe you've not been arrested for speaking about Jesus, but I think we do live in a a world now, in a culture now, in our country, where it can feel that we are under pressure not to speak about Jesus. It was interesting, wasn't it, in the uh, elections for for First Minister of Scotland, Kate Forbes standing uh, to be First Minister, also a Christian, and she wasn't far off being elected, But there were points in her campaign where it felt unfair attention was being given to the fact that she was a Christian. It was mentioned at one point that you've got a Hindu prime minister uh, and a Muslim mayor of London, but it seems being a Christian means you're going to struggle to be elected. Well, it isn't only politicians who can feel it's harder and harder to be known as a follower of Jesus, can it? I wonder how free you feel to speak of Jesus in your workplace or in your street and with your neighbours. Sometimes we feel like we're being told you mustn't speak in that name. Well, Peter and John, having been released and told they mustn't speak in the name of Jesus, met with Christians and they prayed together. And uh, it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, just have a look there. It's wonderful what it says. It says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happened next? And spoke the word of God boldly. The filling of the Spirit meant that they went out and spoke. In spite of opposition, in spite of the risk of being arrested again, they went and they spoke. And what would they have spoken of? Jesus, the kingship of Jesus. Should we pray for a filling of the Holy Spirit? Oh yes, we must pray for a filling of the Holy Spirit. Are you ready for what that might mean? Well, there are many ways that the Spirit filling us can change us, can transform us. He opens our eyes more to know God better. He takes the truth of the gospel, applies it to our hearts so that we don't merely know about God's love, but we experience it as we experience sweetness when we taste honey, so we can know and experience the love of God as the Holy Spirit applies it to our hearts. But he also fills his people to send us to go and speak as he filled the apostles, which many of us find utterly daunting. I do. Of course we do. We're going out to speak about the kingship of Jesus, at school, college, university, with our neighbours, at work, 
to people who are not at all convinced that Christianity is a good thing. You may think we're mad for believing in Jesus, yet we're called to go. And on our own, we can't do it, can we? On our own, we would just clam up and give up. But the Spirit is given. And the Spirit is given that we might go in the power of God to go and speak of the kingship of Jesus. So be encouraged. You don't go out on your own. You go with God's Spirit to go to the world, to go and witness in his power. So what happened next? Well, Jesus met with his apostles and got them ready. He instructed them, told them to witness and to wait. To witness to his kingship and wait for the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Well, we need to respond to this. We too are called to go and speak of Jesus' kingship. It's a frightening thing to do, isn't it? And yet God empowers us by his spirit to go and speak. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for, your, uh, for the wonderful truths of the kingship of Jesus. We pray you'd help each one of us here and those watching online to bow the knee to Jesus and his kingship. And we pray for a filling of your Holy Spirit. Fill us, Father. Fill your church in this country that we would go out to speak of the kingship of Jesus. Father, we are very weak and we are very fearful often. We need your spirit to empower us that we would be gripped by the truths of the gospel and ready to go. Use us and fill us, we pray. Amen.